we can look at something like what's happening now and say, this is a freak of nature. And therefore, it is outside the norm of what I am capable of dealing with. Or we can say what uh, what I suggest is to say, no, this is an extreme form of the normal because we know that disruption is all around us. And that has been already the case for, as I mentioned, two decades. And although this is extreme, this is still within the norm and the normal. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and welcome to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, what in your life, business, or industry needs reimagining right now? I'm guessing for most of us, myself very much included, it's a lot. In my world, the world of influence, speaking at events, working with clients to make an impact with their ideas and their expertise, well, that's a world that just pretty much needs reimagining from the ground up right now. And there's some amazing people hard at work doing that. And on that note, I'm, I'm of the belief that those that will come out of this chapter being held up as the influencers or the authorities of whatever age comes next will be those kinds of people, those kind of people that put themselves hard at work at the task of reimagining. The ones with the grit and the tools to translate the road forward for us with clarity, certainty, and no small amount of courage. Which sounds like a great strategy when the road ahead is clear, or at least partially clear. But what happens when it's not? What happens when there is no road? What happens when the path ahead not only doesn't exist, but there's not even any footprints to follow? When we're in complete uncharted territory, as we are right now. In those moments, I think the big question becomes this. If this is a job that you want to take on, that of the trusted authority or advisor in your space, and believe me, there is a massive opportunity right now for those willing to do so, then you need to pay close attention to the answer to this question. How do I currently approach the process of reimagination, of trying to imagine a new path, a new road? What currently happens to my mind, energy, and team when the road before us disappears? And one of the wisest pieces of advice that I ever received was this. How you do one thing is how you do everything. How we handle the uncertainty of recreation in one area of our lives is exactly how we handle it everywhere. So if the answer to the above question is not great, then we're going to need some new tools. And my guest today brings exactly that and so much more. Gabor George Burt is one of the leading experts behind Blue Ocean Strategy, which, as many of you will know, was one of the most influential business books and growth approaches of the last decade. As part of that, he spent 10 years working with companies across the globe to identify and build their own blue oceans. However, as time went on, he started discovering something kind of strange. That although most companies love the ideas within Blue Ocean, they just didn't seem to be able to implement it. So he got a little bit fascinated, a little bit curious, a little bit confused, and he set off on a journey to discover why that was, what the disconnect was. And that then culminated into his latest book, Slingshot. The principle being that just like a slingshot, when we feel tension, when we feel the need for change, when our life gets pulled back like the strings of a slingshot, a couple of things can happen. One is we can break, and the other is that we can get ready for a path of accelerated growth. I'm pretty sure which one I want to do. 
In this conversation, we dive into going beyond the wall, how to use the slingshot principle to transform the tension of disruption into growth, why all infatuation wears off. I'm not going to, I'm making no comments here about online dating or marriage. What I'm talking about is how to re-infatuate your target audience with what you have to offer when the rules of the game change. How to break down your next blue ocean into manageable lakes and seas, which, you know, I think for many of us trying to imagine a whole new ocean feels kind of overwhelming. However, we break it down into smaller territory. It becomes so much more manageable. And then how to systematically apply creative thinking to find the edge of those. How to get other people past fear and onto the journey of reinvention. That's never easy, right? And that includes a six question test that exposes exactly how we limit ourselves on the possibilities. Why our childhood creativity is an amazing resource that we all too often neglect and make insignificant when it's one of the most significant talents that we possess. And why all of this isn't just about business, but the framework of a creative, energy-fueled, resilient life. What I would love you to reflect on here as you listen is how you currently approach the process of reimagining. Do you freeze? Do you fight against it? Do you collapse internally or externally at the enormity of it? Or do you hold on for dear life, like clinging on to what used to work in the thin belief that it's possible for anything to remain unchanged, even as change accelerates around you on a daily basis, as it seems to at the moment? Or do you show up energized, curious, willing to experiment and share what you find? Are you able to let go of perfect and double down on progress instead? Or in the words of a friend of mine recently, willing to get scrappy and keep moving. Now, for me, at the moment, I'm calling BS on myself. And if, when you're listening to this interview, you can probably call, hear me silently in the background calling BS on myself. You know, although I'm pretty good at moving quickly and I'm fairly practiced at disrupting myself, sometimes by choice, sometimes not by choice. I'm also very good at fighting the process the entire way which is something that really hit me as part of this conversation. I'm excellent at inviting in exhaustion by running the same mental monologues over and over and over again. Why do things have to change? I just built that. How can that all be redundant? Or my favorite, I'm thinking I might just sit this one out, look busy and wait for it all to go away. Oh, I, do, I do it quietly, but I do it hardcore. And so this episode was and is a call to me and hopefully to you too, to become infatuated with the process of creation again, whether this is your first or your 50th rodeo, basically falling back in love with the exploration, just like a child, because when the stakes are high, higher than they've ever been, so too is the level of energy and curiosity that we need to bring to the table. So on that note, I hope you enjoy my conversation with the creative force that is Gabor George Burt. Welcome to the podcast, Gabor George Burt. Thank you, Julie, for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. I'm going to kick the podcast off with a question I've been asking recently. I try and play with, with this introductory question just on, based on whatever I'm finding interesting or amusing at the time. What's the most influential idea that you've heard recently? And the, the preface with that is that, you know, people who are on the fringes of innovation as you are and live in a, in a world of ideas tend to have access to some really kind of interesting cutting edge ideas. Has anything caught your attention recently where you think that one, that's got legs? 
That's a loaded question, and, and I like the fact that uh, you preface it by saying the, the, the question that you find interesting and amusing, right? I, I like that. I like the amusing part. So to me, what I've been really fascinated with, uh, and I'm not sure how directly this answers your question or how uh, specifically, is just the whole psychology of the way the world is reacting to what's happening. Because this is an unprecedented test of everything in terms of our ability to understand the absurd. The area where I play in is how do you turn adversity into opportunity? So what I've been really struck by and fascinated by is just the different types of reactions people have, whether it's uh, people in position of leadership and corporate leadership or uh, political leadership or academic leadership, the differences in cultural reactions uh, where you see a country like the U.S. that uh, really sees the idea of voluntarily putting on face masks as some sort of uh, attack on the, the general liberty and, and freedom you know, that, uh, that the country was built on. And so to me, this is what, what I, I found uh, to be such a fascinating global experiment of how we deal with something like this that has never happened, that affects everyone, and that shows just how incredibly connected the world is. You know, whether it started in uh, in a certain part of in China a few months ago or, or elsewhere, where now there's you know theories. What's undeniable is that the entire world is is affected in an incredibly short amount of time, and uh, and some of the uh, the after effects, such as the the canals of Venice magically teeming again with life after decades of being over polluted, you know these unexpected uh, results of of uh, what's happening is also just just really incredible. You know when you when you look back just six months ago and you would have told somebody, you know, that this would happen, that the whole world would come to a standstill. There would be no travel. People would be wearing masks. Uh, gasoline would be uh, as cheap as it is. Uh, no one would believe it. You know, the incredible thing about people is our ability, as I said, uh, I keep going back to this word absurd, is our ability to kind of deal with the absurd and, and accept it and embrace it and and uh, and then and then go on from there. So that's that's what I've been kind of really uh, fascinated, amused, and enamored by. You know, it's funny I said the word amused. I've never I've never used that word before, but just today, just today, I don't know. It feels like a very apt word. It's, it's this really interesting space where the world seems seems at one part smaller because our world mm-hmm. has literally become, in some cases, our home, mm-hmm. and in other parts larger because we're all yes. facing the same thing at the same time. Um, in some parts more horrific, you know, if that's where you put all your energy attention, there's no shortage of that. Yes. And in other parts more beautiful because of the things that we appreciate at another level now that that we didn't appreciate before or that we didn't take the time to stop and appreciate before. So there's all these kind of um, different ends of the spectrum happening at the same time. And then somewhere in there as well, there's just the energy of trying to appreciate the amusement of certain things and the intrigue of certain things and what we'll talk yes. about today, you know, the reimagining of certain things mm-hmm. and trying to go, okay, that energy, that energy I might've stepped over before to get mm-hmm. to something else in, in the speed. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm going to stay there for a little while and see if I can harness it and see sure. where it goes. You were, you were one of the original experts behind Blue Ocean Strategy. Which right. I think at the count that I saw sold over 4 million copies was an, was an incredible success. So just very briefly, because we're going to tie, tie that into to the work that you're doing now, what is, what, what is a blue ocean and what's the importance of it? 
Yes, so blue ocean is this uh, wonderful imagery that uh, represents all new market space, so unexplored, unoccupied market space. And the way that you get into blue ocean is to challenge conventional wisdom and break away from what everybody else is doing, which we call red ocean. So red ocean, if you like, it's because it's bloody from all the competition, it's cutthroat and it's very confining because everybody accepts the boundaries of that market space or how you compete, who your, com uh, who your customers are. And when you break away from that and you make the competition irrelevant because your focus is squarely on customers and, and getting close to them, that's when you enter, enter this uh, magical space that we call, or aspirational space, I should say, that we call blue ocean. So that's the di difference between red ocean and blue ocean. With a couple of reasons why I think it, it became so well received. Number one, I just think that it's a it's really, really nice packaging, right? The, 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 the imagery, the uh, uh, the, the idea of getting into blue ocean is, is attractive. And the second is that um, for at least two decades, we've been uh, operating in an environment uh, uh, full of disruption. So uh, blue ocean strategy actually gives you a framework on how to think about being one of the future shapers rather than always trying to react to this uh, continuous movement in the environment around you. There's this beautiful flip. And I think that, that you said it the last time that we caught up that I love about your thinking. Mm -hmm. And you said, we need to look at this current crisis as an extreme form of disruption and not an aberration. Yes. And yeah. I loved that because, you know, how we handle this is how we handle everything, right? You know, mm -hmm. what happens to your mind, energy, team and processes when the road disappears mm -hmm. now mm -hmm. is the same as, as, as always happens. And it will happen over and over again and probably with increasing speed. Talk to me about why you think that we struggle with this form of disruption. Obviously, this is more extreme than usual. Well, it's, it's really a fascinating thing because, as, as you said already, one of the, the key things that, uh, that I focus in on is this idea of boundaries. And my premise is that it's a natural state, a natural phenomenon for us to be explorers, to always uh, go beyond uh, what we already know. Uh, what we're already uh, familiar with and to keep exploring. And I can prove that very simply by saying that if you look around, everything that surrounds you that is uh, man-made uh, was born in someone's imagination, right? That They first had an idea of something that they thought would improve uh, people's lives or would add value or would be fun to do, would make things more comfortable, more safe, uh, more environmentally friendly, whatever it is. And then uh, they made it happen. And that's how we uh, we are. And, and, and as children, this takes center stage because our creativity uh, knows no bounds. Now, the issue is that as we grow older, we have been trained uh, that order is more important, that stability is more important, and we start to disconnect from our creative abilities. And so we're not uh, comfortable with this idea of change or, or the idea of being surprised or disrupted. And uh, so what happens when we have an extreme form of that is that we have a choice to make. We can look at something like what's happening now and say, this is a freak of nature. Uh, and, and therefore, it is outside the the norm of what I am capable of dealing with. Or we can say what uh, what I suggest is to say no. This is an extreme 
extreme form of the normal because we know that disruption is all around us and that has been already the case for, as I mentioned, two decades. And although this is extreme, this is still within the norm and the normal. And the huge significance of that is that when we say that, then we're what we're in essence saying that therefore it is within our boundaries. Therefore, it is within our realm of being able to manage it. And that makes all the difference, whether we think of ourselves as being simply uh, the victim of, uh, of uh, unprecedented disruption or, or change, or we think that this is part of the way that we need to think about our operating environment. And we're going to get good at managing it. We're going to take control and we're going to be one of the future shapers. And I think that when you talk about, you know, this is within the bounds of normal, that's what stands out to me. Because if we if we consider this to be within the bounds of normal, as surprising and devastating as it has been, then mm-hmm. that raises the next question, which is, if this is our normal, then we need the processes, the skills, the training and the, the plan A's and B's and C's in place always to deal yes. with this stuff. Yes, absolutely. And mm-hmm. you said that you had spent um, 10 years working with companies to understand and apply Blue Ocean and, and you found that most companies were unable to implement it, Correct. which I found mm-hmm. really surprising. And is that is that why that we consider innovation to be a point in time that is no longer required once that disruption has apparently stopped? Yeah. Yeah, you know, let me put this in in context to uh, to I think really be able to understand the reason. Uh, one is uh, is to, is to reference an article in Fortune magazine, which uh, was published in 2006, and the name of the article, the title was "New Rules." And what was fascinating is that Fortune magazine named Jack Welch, the uh, former CEO of General Electric, the manager of the century for the for the 20th century. But just six years later, in 2006, the same magazine, same public said, no, those rules, even though they were great and brilliant for the last century, no longer apply. And they listed several rules and then what would replace them going forward. One of those is that uh, the, 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 the old rule is big dogs on the street. And the new rule is agility is best. Being big can bite you. Another one was be number one or number two in everything you do. The new rule is create something new. Right. So there is a real significant shift going on already again back uh, uh, 15, 20 years ago in leadership and management. And this is also supported by a study by IBM that asked, uh, uh, I think, uh, 1500 CEOs all around the world from different industries. What do you think you need as the most important quality for leadership into the future? And the number one answer was creativity. But at the same time, the same responders said that they don't think that they are well equipped to lead in a creative way or to nurture creativity in their organization. And that was, I think, the key reason about Blue Ocean Strategy. So Blue Ocean Strategy is a great framework, as I said, to show you that that there is an opportunity outside of cutthroat competition. But in order to get there, you need a system, you need a way to activate creative thinking and then to systematically channel that. Because if you don't have that, you will not find your blue oceans. Or if even if you do, you will not have the certainty or the assurance that it's worth pursuing. And that was what I felt the missing piece was, which is what led me to create the, my own framework under the name Slingshot which in a sense is a uh, is is the practical guide to creating blue oceans 
exactly what you just said there is really one of the bits is, is really resonating with me when you said it's no longer the biggest dog. It's no longer the biggest dog or the first. And I think we've really seen that, that, that the people who have, there's a big disadvantage to being first to market. Firstly, you've got to, you've got to figure everything out by yourself and other people are watching what you're doing and learning faster than you're able to iterate. Mm-hmm. And being a big dog means that there is a distinct lack of agility in there unless you design the processes Perfect. and the systems inside to build That's... agility within. So let's, let's go into that. When I, when when I first picked up your book and I saw that it was called um, Slingshot, I thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, David and Goliath, Slingshot, okay. take mm-hmm. down the big guys. But actually, yeah. no, when I when I got into it, you said that that's not what Slingshot is about. It's about being temporarily pulled back. So as in how you handle the tension in order mm-hmm. to create propulsion. The, the idea of the, the biblical story is, 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 was also inspirational. So I absolutely like that, that kind of inspirational um, example of... Uh, of again, it's not about the size, but about your agility, your creativity, and and the fact that uh, that biblical story uh, in large is in large part is about that is about uh, uh, getting into a situation where most people would think that you have no chance, and you come out victorious because you do something unexpected and imaginative. But more importantly, yeah, uh, the or, or or along with that, what really struck me as as a really fitting uh, symbol for the concepts and the uh, the, the mindset and the direction that I I am taking uh, my concepts in is uh, the mechanics of a slingshot, which is, as you said, it works by pulling back against an elastic and creating that tension that then launches a projectile forward. And I think the analogy there uh, is that when you create tension, when you're starting to push against these what I call self-imposed mental boundaries, or right now when it's imposed on us, so a, a crisis like this stops us in our tracks and pulls us back, pulls us us back momentarily. But again, if we if we use that moment uh, correctly, then it's an opportunity for us to reinvent, refresh, reimagine what we're doing and propel us even further forward. Forward. And and the third reason I pick slingshot and perhaps the most uh, direct one is simply that it is one of the most universal childhood toys. So it's it's something that's tied in, in the most people's memory with that of childhood adventure, childhood mischief, even uh, exploration, curiosity. And a key part of my message in Slingshot, again, is that to me, our natural state is to be creative and to be explorers. And we just lose touch with that inner self uh, that, that has never left us. It just gets buried as we grow older and, uh, and, and start to be much more mechanical and much more within uh, just thinking within rules. So all we need to do is really reconnect with that part of us and then systematically apply it. And that's what uh, the Slingshot framework allows leadership teams and companies to do. Well, let's, let's go into it. Let's, let's dive straight in there for anybody who are out there right now, who's kind of going, okay, I yes. need to imagine, I need to reimagine either what I'm doing with my, my, my life, my career, my business, sure. or this industry as a whole needs to reimagine, or it will not exist a year, two mm-hmm. years from now. And I heard a really interesting report last night about the entertainment industry. And mm. I think there's some really big questions like this going on there right now, specifically. So you said, and the, the first bit that got me and I was like, okay, I can work with this. It's a big part of it is working with what exists. And myself as a leader and as business owner, that stood out to me because I'm like, okay, I can do that. I have what exists. Mm-hmm. So 
how do we work with what exists, first of all? I think mm. you used this, this beautiful example of a gym teacher who reimagined mm. with a ball and a basket and we have basketball. So taking what already exists and working with that. I do that two ways. So one of the, the things that also made uh, the, uh, the practical application of Blue Ocean Strategy difficult is that most organizations saw it as doing something completely new, right? So getting into a space that they were never in before and leaving behind what they're doing today. So that presented this uncomfortable uh, perception of a trade-off of either just staying in the red ocean, even though it's very uh, cutthroat and un, uh, unprofitable, or doing something completely new. So the the way that I approach it through Slingshot is to say, you don't need to do that. In fact, you should think of blue waters on three levels. First is blue lake, which is the most immediate way to rethink what you're already doing, and that is simply refreshing and optimizing your current business, right? With the assumption that you don't need to throw it away, that it has ongoing relevance and value. You just need to optimize it, okay? The second level is what I call blue C, which is expanding what you're doing. So what else could you do? Who else could you do it for? And the third level is blue ocean, which is creating something new, something that you've never done or has never existed. And what I found is that when we tier the the idea of reimagining or the idea of, of innovation in, in this way into these three uh, categories, these three levels, it becomes much more practical, much more uh, achievable. And the other way, and, and that's what you were uh, referencing, is that uh, uh, within the Slingshot framework, I... Uh, I call attention to something that I call the innovation shortcut. And I define the innovation shortcut as something that's uh, that's not invented. So you don't need to ever be the first to develop or bring something to market, but rather that you combine already existing and so far separate components in new ways, right? And that unlocks unprecedented new value. So the example of a gym teacher that, that saw a, uh, a peach basket and a soccer ball, a, a football, and said, and said, I see a connection. I see a new sport. And had the students put the peach basket on top of a ladder and then said, you need to throw this ball up into that basket and who, whichever team does it gets a point. And that was the origin of, uh, of basketball. But uh, a more uh, current example, and I think a beautiful example, is that of a uh, small uh, town in the U.S. Uh, where uh, on one side of the street was a school and the other side was an old people's home, a, a nursing home. And uh, they were very symbolically separated from each other by the road that, uh, that stood in between the two. And each one had... Uh, traditional difficulties. Uh, the schools, the students were uh, uh, were not good readers. They were consistently behind other students uh, on state exams. And uh, in the old people's home, the residents, of course, felt marginalized by society. 
uh, low morale and and felt uh, left behind until one teacher uh, looked across the street and said, I have an idea. What if we walked our students across the street and asked the residents of the nursing home to tutor them in reading? And within just a couple of months, magic happened. The students began to be much more proficient in reading because they had personal tutors and the and the elderly, their entire mood and, and uh, important uh, just magically transformed because they felt again needed and uh, and valuable. And and that's again just a simple example of combining seemingly separate components in a new way that unlocks value. And that's what I call the innovation shortcut. There's so much to that example other than it just being, you know, a beautiful solution to to a very common global problem, that being yes. the isolation of the elderly and the education of the young. Two things that, about that that stand out to me. Number one is the fact that you've broken that blue ocean down into smaller components of water, which is mm-hmm. you don't jump straight into redesigning the entire shop straight away. You pick some smaller experiments that you can run, yes. some some smaller needs that you can meet, figure out how you can take the components. And we've seen that a lot, especially through the pandemic where coffee shops is, is my favorite because there's so many near where I live and you're watching them go, okay, well, what if we made pre, pre-packaged meals? What if we did that? What if we, one just down the road from me has put up a, a stand where they're doing rotisserie chickens where you can just mm-hmm. walk past, pre-order, walk past, pick it up and go. Uh-huh. So taking what you have and running some experiments and then if you get enough traction with those experiments, that leads you towards towards your blue ocean, which I just think is phenomenal. And the other thing is the combining of two worlds. And I know mm-hmm. that that's a, that's a big thing for you. I know you're a, a massive fan of Dr. Zeus and his ability to combine two worlds. And I've always thought that, that that's the key to finding a unique space or a blue mm-hmm. ocean where you can, you know, I'll say dominate. I don't love that word, but it's better than yes. any other I can think of right now. Mm-hmm. Finding the two worlds that you can own where you speak both languages Mm-hmm. And combining mm-hmm. the two. Hey, have you got any other examples of companies that have done that? Companies, teams, individuals who have done that really well? Yeah, there, there's many. In fact, uh, what's really interesting is once you start uh, uh, understanding the concept of the innovation shortcut and you look at the world through that lens, you start to realize that that many of the most important innovations in business history currently or in the past are based on this. So, for example, the automotive industry, Henry Ford, uh, who popularized uh, the, uh, the, the car in the early part of the 19th century didn't invent anything. He combined already existing automotive technology, which uh, uh, companies like Daniel uh, Damir Benz in, in Europe uh, perfected, among others, with already existing uh, assembly belt uh, technology, right? And just combine those two. Now, a modern example is Starbucks. Starbucks is a $25 billion company. I'm sure you have it, have it in Australia, right? They're, they're yes, there also? Do. Okay, so it, it, it never f- uh, ceases to amaze me when I go to uh, countries or cities with amazing coffee culture, like let's say Vienna, and there's a line outside of Starbucks and everybody knows that they're paying high premium for the experience, but their $25 billion company didn't invent anything, but they took advantage of the innovation shortcut by combining a coffee house, which has existed for centuries with an easily replicable fast food model. And that's Starbucks. Again, just an example of taking advantage of the innovation shortcut. 
And a simple, I say simple, simple but not easy, a simple way of doing that, right, is just looking at looking at other industries out there and who the the major players are there, like who's who's dominating in that space, who's dominating in that space, who's dominating in that space, and going, right, what is it that they do, and how could I take that component and apply it, apply it to this world? How could I take that particular part yes. that I think that is making them stand apart Absolutely. and apply it to my world? Absolutely, and, and a quick example of that, I work with McDonald's uh, uh, when uh, the whole restaurant concept was uh, was reimagined, re-engineered from being just a food destination to being an entertainment destination. This was a huge shift for the company, and one of the things we looked at is who is doing something that that we can emulate. And of course, by that time, Starbucks was up and running, and uh, and they provided a really good additional dimension for McDonald's to add to their reimagined environment and that was the genesis of the Mac Cafe concept which which is now within the most McDonald's and that's premium coffee very much a, uh, a Starbucks like feel to it and often with a childcare center at the back that that is is the bane of many children many parents lives let's talk about going beyond the wall and mm. transforming the undesirable but necessary. Um, so basically turning pain points into points that you call of infatuation. So let's, let's jump into that. So firstly, how do you find the pain points in order to transform mm. them into the necessary infatuations? Yes. Yes. And, and so one of the key things that I strive for is simplicity. So I believe that there's already enough complexity, enough noise, enough interference for everybody. So adding more is senseless. So I go the opposite way and say, how can we simplify? How can we drill down to the core essence of what just a few things that you need to think about? If you do that right as a leader or as an organization, you'll be one of the future shapers. So one of these is, is the innovation shortcut. And the other one is this idea of focusing in on the pain points of your target audience and then transforming those into points of delight and infatuation. And that to me, if I had to pick one, that is the one because most companies don't understand it, get it wrong, as as incredible as that is. And I have statistics to show that how much pain all companies cause their customers simply because they just don't look at the their experience enough in terms of uh, what they go through. So the way that you do that and the way that I help companies do that is simply to map out the customer journey, um, which there's nothing really magical in that in itself because a lot of companies do that, but we do it in a way that we really emphasize where are the key points of friction, frustration, and disconnect. And most every time, no matter what kind of company I work with, no matter what industry or how successful, this mapping is completely filled with those points of frustration and pain. And what I tell them at that point is, look at how successful you already are as a company and look at all these opportunities, because if we can transform these, then how much better your customers will be attracted to you, how much more of a relationship you will be able to have with them. And so that's really the the start of that process. And, and what's really fascinating is this idea of not just fixing pain points, but transforming them into points of delight. And, and, and this word that I love to use, infatuation, one uh, simple example of that is Spirit Airlines just last fall introduced that uh, they are reconfiguring the seating on their airplanes. And I think you'll agree with me that the uh, the least desirable seats on any 
uh, airline or an, on any airplane is the middle seat, right? Everybody wants to avoid the middle seat. You, if, you, oh, yeah. if you got that, think you're stuck and why me? Uh, you'd rather, much rather have the, the aisle or the window. So how do you turn that pain point into a point of joy or into a point of attraction without, you know, having to invest huge amounts of money or, or just taking out the middle seats? So what they did is they announced that they're actually making the middle seats the widest. Okay. And it was only by a single inch. So just a little bit, it was more of a, a token gesture. But the psychology of that is that all of a sudden now the middle seat may become the most desirable seat. So now that if you get the middle seat, you're thinking, lucky me, right? And that's an example of how you turn a perceived pain point into a perceived point of joy or point of, of, of infatuation. I love that. I think that the, the difficulty in doing that, though, is sometimes where we think, well, we, we don't know. You know, what the, I'm guessing what my customer's pain is right now. Is it as simple as asking? Is it as simple as picking up the phone, putting together some kind of focus group, incentivizing people to attend? How do, how do we get to the bottom? Is there a process right. or do we just ask? Yeah, it's it, asking is good. But it's not the answer. It's not the full answer. That's a partial answer. And what I say you need to do beyond that is to experience it for yourself. Observe it uh, as well. So observe your customers. Don't just ask them, but also experience it for yourself. So one of the things that I do when I work with leadership teams and, and we're getting to know each other is I simply ask, are you a customer of what you're selling? right? If you're a furniture company, do you have the furniture that you're selling in your house, in your office space? Do you use it every day? If you are uh, an airline, how often do you travel on your own airline in every class that you that you sell service? And again, what's fascinating is that most of the time, the answer is no, that no, I, I don't have the furniture in my house or office. No, I don't very often fly uh, my own airline because I fly in my private jet um, and, and or I fly business class. I've never experienced economy class, et cetera. Uh, and so that's part of that disconnect that I that I mentioned, that it's incredibly prevalent that companies are just not good at understanding what their customers go through. So so the way you start to get good at that is certainly ask them, but go well beyond that by observing them and experience it for yourself. And that's why you know, Steve Jobs famously said that a customer doesn't know what he or she wants until we show it to them because a customer uh, himself or herself is also limited but by what they think is possible, what they think they can demand from you. They have no idea of all the things that you could possibly offer them that they've never seen or could, could have imagined themselves. And that's another thing you can process, right? You can process that. Sure. You can process a feedback loop with your with your teams, where you know they are expected to experience your product, your, your service, yes. x amount of times, and come back and come back with feedback. Which actually brings me on to my next question, which is how we systematically apply this stuff. And I've heard uh, many companies recently putting together almost separate teams, where you know your remit is to put us out of business. Your remit is to come up with if someone was going to compete with us and do what yes. we do better, cheaper, faster, in a more beautifully imagined way. You go mm -hmm. do that. Now I feel mm -hmm. like at the moment, few companies have the resources to put that in there in this specific period sure. of time when it's needed more sure. than ever. Ironically, sure. Do you, are they project teams? Do you just make it part of everybody's KPIs? How do you do that? Well, the, one of the positive things about 
a crisis of this magnitude is that it forces everyone uh, to realize that we need to rethink what we do. The status quo, what was normal up until before COVID no longer holds. And that's a special moment in time because as I said, a lot of people have this artificial resistance to creative thinking and to change. But a moment like this moves everybody out of that space. And so your entire company, your entire team is much more receptive to this idea of thinking outside the boundaries, thinking about reimagining what it is that you're doing. So this is, uh, and over the last few uh, few months, that's exactly what I've been really uh, uh, focused on is, is working with the companies around the world to say that this is a special moment in time to engage everyone in your organization and get them to help you formulate how you should reimagine what it is that you do. Uh, there's some very simple core principles on how you do that. Number one, what are the key pain points of your target audience? Right now, they're feeling extra pain. And after uh, COVID, there'll be all kinds of new pain points because we're going to be operating in a new environment. So this is a perfect time to be one of the first companies to figure out what those key new pain points will be and, and how we position ourselves to be the ones that will transform those into points of comfort, points of, of joy, et cetera. A good example of that is Airbnb. So Airbnb was launched in 2008 in the wake of the financial crisis that crippled the world uh, the year before. And the reason that uh, was launched is because people had real difficulty financing their homes, their uh, apartments, houses. And so Airbnb gave them a way to generate additional income when they were not using the space uh, inside their, uh, their, their real estate or uh, any uh, part of their, um, of their homes or apartments that they could share. At the same time, it allowed people to travel much more economically, bypass expensive hotels. So that was a way to turn a new significant pain point that was the outcome of the last major crisis into a point of joy and comfort and, and a source of income. Uh, so, so the idea is that this is a special moment where you can engage your team, think about the pain points that are being formulated and how you will be the first to do something about those. Think about the innovation shortcut, which in a crisis like this is perfect because it's not about how much access you have to resources, but your ability to see new connections between and among already existing resources inside or outside of your company. So those are the kind of things that I am uh, working uh, with companies to activate. Um, and to answer your question, it's, it, it is not uh, needing any new budgets. It's just a, a reconfiguration of how we uh, involve our team in this process of, uh, of reimagining our business. I'm going to put you on the on the spot just a little bit now. Just let's say that tomorrow a leader gets their their team into into a room, and we're like, right, we're gonna we're gonna reimagine this thing. What's what's a good kickoff question? Because I feel like for leaders, a tool like that yeah. is so invaluable. How do I start this? What's the kickoff question? Yeah. So so the way that I do it is uh, I do what I call a, a six question test. I love that. I background. ask you for one question. You've you've upped the ante into six. 
brilliant. Well, brilliant but this is this is the way that I, I do it. So, so that's exactly the reason I do that is you know my background beside business is psychology. So what really interests me is what truly motivates people. And what I found, of course, is the idea, as we just said, there is re- there's a certain resistance to the idea of change, even to innovation. So I bypass that and I say, I am going to give you a six question test and I'm going to wager that you're not going to get more than two out of six correct in terms of really future shaping, visionary, strategic thinking. Are you willing to take this wager? And of course, everyone is is going to take that because getting two out of six seems very reasonable to beat. But almost every time, invariably, nobody does because uh, because everybody has these self-imposed mental boundaries. And these questions are very simple, such as what animal would you pick to represent your business? How do you define your business? How do you define your most relevant competitors? What do you think should be the goal of innovation? You know, things like this. But uh, but but the response gives a snapshot into the way that we limit ourselves and how we look at what we do, how we define our market space and our customers and our growth opportunities. And when I then uh, revealed the right answer and the fact that they really didn't beat my wager, that they didn't get more than two out of six correct, then I have their attention. Then then there's an immediate buy-in and they say, yeah, how do we now reimagine? How do we take our, our company to a whole new level of success? How do we get into the blue waters on all three levels? So that's how I do it. And so those questions, can you repeat those questions for me? So some of those questions. Right. So one is, uh, you know, what animal would you pick uh, to represent your business, which reveals again, uh, I mean, the question behind the question is what qualities do you think are most important? Because whatever animal you pick, you pick because they represent a certain quality uh, that you feel important. Uh, second question is simply, what do you do? What business are you in, right? How do you define what, what business your company does? And what I say is just imagine that you're sitting at a dinner table and someone you don't know next to you is asking you these questions. So it's not about a long drawn out answer. It's your immediate gut reaction, which I think is very revealing. That's that's what I'm after. What would you say to someone sitting next to you at a dinner party that asks you these questions? What I love about that and what I love about the way you use the word imagination just in general is that it's it's one of those words that we underestimate, right? It's a bit like empathy. We hear it and we kind of kind of go, oh, it's a kid's word or a, or a softy, softy word or a word we'll use when we have the time and the resources and that's not now. What happens if you get people in a room and you say innovate, what happens? It's kind of like that, that flight or fright thing, right? We all freeze. Mm-hmm. But if you get people in a room and you say, I just, just use your imaginations. That's all I'm asking from you mm-hmm. right now. I just want you to jump into your imagination, something happens. And I think that that's its power, that we do underestimate it and it kind of opens a door. Absolutely. And two of my favorite quotes, uh, one is by Thomas Edison. Thomas Edison is, of course, one of the greatest, if not the greatest uh, uh, inventors of all time, was once asked by a reporter. He replied without hesitation. So he didn't have to think about it. said that the, the greatest invention in the world is the mind of a child. Right. Which I think is a beautiful answer, because what he was talking about is that that sort of just uh, a limitless curiosity and openness and uh, sense of exploration that a child has is where it 
all starts. And if you can apply that to whatever you do in adulthood, then you have the core fuel, the core engine that will drive your ability to really uh, innovate and and maximize your full potential. And, and the other quote, kind of mirroring this, but bringing it to more uh, to today and to the business realm is by Peter Manholtz, who is one of the top uh, uh, customer design experts uh, in the world. And what he said is that everything you needed to you need to learn about innovation you learned in kindergarten right so same thing that that sort of mindset is the core the essential ingredients to uh, to reinvention to reimagining boundaries and again that's what I also talk about in, in slingshot is how do you reconnect with that and how do you then systematically apply it so you're not just throwing around abstract ideas you're not just brainstorming but actually uh, very much directing your imagination and your collective creativity as an organization to move your uh, company forward and it's also the key to energy right you know, there's, there's two sources of energy. One is fear, which is, mm -hmm. is finite and can be very exhausting. It'll get you out of trouble momentarily. But, And the mm -hmm. other one is excitement. The other one is enthusiasm, passion. And yes. you just kind of brought me beautifully onto one of the other observations I had around in your book. And, and you spoke to some eclectic guests. I mean, I just loved the the breadth that you went to. You you talked to the founder of the Jamaican bobsled team, the Rubik's Cube founder, which right. I would just, I would love to talk to him and, and get inside that brain. But more importantly than that was the question that you asked them or one of the questions that you asked them. And you asked them what evidence they have today that they were ever mm -hmm. a child. And that's such a right. fascinating question to me. Why is that important? It led them to talk about, to bring to the surfers these wonderful uh, uh, responses and stories that they've actually never been asked. They've never had a chance to uh, to to talk about because uh, all these people and and they're all wonderfully successful in their own uh, in their own fields. Uh, we're generally just talking about what they do today as adults. But when you ask them something as disarming um, as, as that is, you know, tell me, uh, just just why is it that, that you can you can tell me that, that you uh, were once a child and that you still somehow retain that and you have some evidence of that, that opens up all kinds of uh, incredible uh, stories and and I felt it was important because to me that was one of the key commonalities among all these visionaries, all these highly talented uh, people that have reimagined their own uh, market space, their own uh, uh, their own uh, uh, areas and, and industries uh, that uh, that they were able to do. That simply they never thought that they needed to trade off uh, adulthood for childhood, that they could always retain the best of both, that the creativity that uh, that was with them in, in um, the first part of their, of their life stayed with them. And they combined that with this, this realm of experience uh, that they built up as adults. And the combination of the two is what made them really successful. So yeah, that, that was really the, the reason and the and yeah, it worked out well. Some, some some wonderful stories were shared. What was your favorite story? 
one of my favorite conversations was uh, was with Dave Stewart, uh, Eurythmics, you know, one of the the that most iconic musicians in the world who uh, who said that looking at the world as a child is like looking at it from the opposite end of a kaleidoscope. You know, you, you see things in a completely different way. And and uh, and he said that in his music, this was a huge, huge uh, influence is that being able to always just explore the unexplored. You know, the, the story of, of Tal Stokes, who you just referenced, who's, who started the uh, Jamaican bobsled team. Uh, what's interesting is that he's actually a military man. So he was a part of the Jamaican uh, uh, military. Uh, so he was all about uh, order and the fact that he didn't see that as being incompatible with doing something people thought was uh, unconventional or that has never been done, which is to take a Caribbean nation and turn their sprinters into uh, bobsled uh, competitors, you know, in, in a Winter Olympics. Uh, was fascinating and 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 those those kind of again inspirational combinations that that it's not a trade-off it's not about just uh, uh, being either very serious and very structured and orderly or being very abstract and creative but that it's the uh, kind of uh, symbiotic combination of the two you know those kind of stories uh, uh, resonated with me so I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you and you could probably probably see this one coming what what evidence do you have today that you are ever a child? Wow, yeah, that's a that's a that's a great question. So you know, I can uh, I can uh, certainly uh, give many. So one one of my favorites is that I love to wear really colorful socks. The reason I do that is because I think socks are singularly, at least for a man, the the one uh, outer garment, a piece of garment that we can wear that's part private but part public, right? So that it actually allows you to show your personality without really flaunting it. And so I always do that. I, I always wear really colorful socks. And on occasion, when I've been speaking at uh, big conferences and I am uh, part of a panel, so I'm sitting down when, where my socks are exposed and people take note, uh, there's been uh, instances where a uh, an, uh, an uh, a spontaneous contest uh, has been launched to uh, to see who else is wearing uh, a pair of really colorful or outrageous socks in that venue and so people get online and and start taking photographs of their own socks and and uh, and create this spontaneous contest and and I love that because it means number one that that people are paying attention right I mean if you notice the socks that I'm wearing that means that you have a sense of of, of of uh, awareness and uh, uh, but secondly that uh, that it's inspiring you to also take action and to uh, to kind of explore your own sense of creativity and those around you. Do you know, just for those of you who are, who are listening very intently, you've probably noticed some some tinkling, some just some beautiful tinkling <laughs> there in the background. And that feels like one of these to me. And I, I don't know the story behind it. You've just said the word reindeers. So yes. talk to me about the reindeers because it, it feels like that is one of those things as well. Yeah. I, I, you know what? Uh, I think it's uh, I'm sitting in my library and I admittedly there are various toys uh, here and there's some uh, there's a breeze blowing uh, from outside. So I think what's happening is that um, uh, at, at certain moments it's hitting something, uh, one of the metal uh, toys that it's spinning or something that's that's making that uh, that very uh, uh, pleasant sound. So that's a story about that uh, in terms of what people are hearing. But it's perhaps adding to the magic or the, uh, uh, the the topic that we're that we're talking about. I love, um, you know, talk about reimagining and talk about the, the evidence that you're ever a child. 
I love the part of your book that you reimagined. You know, mm-hmm. you you created what is a business book. It's designed for CEOs. It's designed for Fortune 500 companies. You had it illustrated by children. And every chapter has music that people mm-hmm. can find on SoundCloud that is the music that accompanies the chapter. Now, that's yes. beautiful and creative. But where I think that that's really important for those that are listening is, and I had a similar conversation with Ben Jones from Unskippable Labs in Google just last week. And he was saying mm-hmm. that our behavior has fundamentally changed. If you look at what we consume, where we consume it, what we like, what we don't like, mm-hmm. but advertising has not changed in 20 years. Interesting. And I feel mm-hmm. the same way about books, right? And mm-hmm. and presentations and and education that our behavior has fundamentally changed, but the product itself has not changed alongside. Was that the reason that you designed the book that way? Or was it just an opportunity to to explore? Yes, it it is. Absolutely. is. I just think fundamentally that I need to be a uh, practitioner of what I preach. So if I write a book on reimagining boundaries, and that's a subtitle, reimagine your business, reimagine your life, I want to, and I need to demonstrate that concept in everything that I do. And that starts with the book itself. So what I did is uh, also make the book only privately available. So as a, uh, in essence, a a follow-up to the the all-time best-selling business book, Blue Ocean Strategy, I I had no interest in, uh, in being obsessed with how many copies I'm selling. So rather, I turn my book into a private resource for the companies and uh, and audiences that I, uh, that I partner with or, or work with. And then I said, how do I make this uh, content into an immersive experience? And that's what led me to those d- dimensions that you referenced, that, uh, that it's all illustrated by children, uh, that uh, it has original music by this wonderfully talented uh, European band. And of course, I did this whole series of interviews with eclectic uh, uh, thought leaders uh, from around the world that also accompanies uh, the book. And, and I thought that makes it complete, that makes it much more uh, credible and, and legitimate if I package it that way. And I, and I think it's also much more uh, uh, palatable, right? It's, it's, it reaches a broader audience, which was also my goal, not just for leaders and CEOs, but for the book to be used and understood and, 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 and be a source of inspiration for anybody in an organization at any level, because that allows uh, for, for that entire group within a company to think together, to act together. So, so absolutely. For those of you who are looking for the next book on, on your list, get it, not just because of the concepts and the concepts are, are so pivotal right now that it's, it's really a book for this moment. But, but get it because it is a reimagined platform. Get mm. it because it gives an example of the different ways that we can do what is essentially the ordinary. And as I said, there are so many areas and industries and products that need to be redesigned right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we've visited many of those for a very long time. Things like books, yes. education, entertainment, um, advertising, you name it. And you've taken something and reimagined it in multiple different ways. And if you can't be inspired by that in your own business, then you need to, as you said, tap into something childhood that that you've got that you need to, you need to access. I'm going to finish. I want to finish here. I have this Mm -hmm. quote on my fridge and I've had it, you know, I've had it up there for probably about 10 years and it's a roomy quote and it says, live where you fear to live, destroy your reputation be notorious. Mm. And I've had it up there for a really long time because 
I find that the thing that can stop me from moving ahead, jumping the next leap is this fear of, well, everything I've built so far, you know, what if it's just, what if, what if that destroys mm-hmm. it? What if it just undermines it? What if it doesn't fit? Mm-hmm. And this idea of destroying your reputation feels cataclysmic, but it is freeing in a way. And yes. I know you yes. have a favorite quote and well, one of the favorite quotes, and it is occupy your imagination or somebody else will. Mm. Absolutely. I, I love that equally because it's kind of, you know, basically occupy the potential of your space or someone else is going to. Yes. So yes. what's the yes. what's the one thing? You know, I'm I'm gonna listen to this, I'm gonna, you know, think about it for a while, have a cup of tea, go about my day, and then tomorrow morning I'm gonna yeah. wake up and I'm gonna do one thing to kick this into motion. What would the one thing be? Yes, that's that's great, and I love uh, I love the the quote that you mentioned, and I and you know the the alignment of uh, of our thinking in terms of just uh, insights that you shared with me, your whole podcast program, you know what you're what you're doing here. Um, I think it's wonderful, and I think it's so timely, um, and I think it's an example of the new way of sharing knowledge. So so this podcast uh, series is 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 very much. Uh, something that uh, that appeals to me. Um, and let me just also say as we're wrapping up that uh, uh, any of the listeners that are interested in my book, uh, they can, I'm happy to send them an electronic copy uh, so they can get in touch with, with oh, me. Oh, of course, because it's not, it's not available, of course. But, uh, but on LinkedIn, they can uh, they can find me and, uh, and get in touch and, and, and I'm happy to do that. Um, related to your quote, one of my other, you know, favorite, uh, either quote or just uh, saying is that Life is a journey, not a destination, right? And to me, that's uh, that's so apropos here because because that's what we're talking about is that continuous striving, that that continuous uh, sense of curiosity and, and exploration. And, and I think to answer your question in terms of what's one thing that you can do, um, I think is to wake up and to look at your environment and say. What are two things that I could put together that could create something valuable, something fun, something that simplifies what we are doing today? So how do I actually activate my mind to start thinking about the innovation shortcut? And and, and let me leave you with a final in a point of inspiration on that. If there's anyone out there that thinks that they're not capable of doing this, let me uh, rebut that uh, by saying that every major language has between 300 and 500,000 words. And every day, on average, we speak about 20,000 words. And, and if you think about it, what that means is that every day we wake up and we have a, a huge Lego pile uh, of up to 500,000 pieces. And out of that, we choose about 20,000 pieces and we build a structure that perfectly communicates everything that we want to say that day. Every idea, every new concept, every question, every story that we want to tell. And we're we're using all these building blocks, all these Lego pieces in, in completely new ways. We're formulating sentences and ideas that we've never said before. And then when we go to sleep, we basically destroy, put away all those pieces and we do it every day over and over and again. And that to me is a perfect example of the innovation shortcut. We're using all those uh, separate pieces, putting them together in new ways every single day. Hopefully that inspires everyone to, to understand that you have exactly what it takes to think this way and to wake up tomorrow and say, how do I apply this concept to my business and to my life? I love that. So thank you. It's It's been a pleasure. You know, this is the second time you and I have had chance to connect yeah. and it was a pleasure the first time and I loved it even more this time. 
and this is what inspires me, you know, these kind of conversations. And and, and hopefully this will resonate uh, with your listeners too. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think it was great. so much for listening we really hope you enjoyed this episode and found tons and tons of useful ideas and insights for growing your own influence now for those of you who want to take the next step in your influence journey if you want to take everything you have learned today and just ramp it up a notch or you just want to learn more about the power of thought leadership when it comes to growing a business an enterprise or spreading an idea there is now also a research paper that you can download from my website juliemasters.com pop in your email address it is free we will not spam you but it is jam-packed full of all the ideas tools and case studies that I have come across in 10 years of doing this work it's called the influencer code it's not long but it is full of value so download it keep it share it juice it for all it is worth I hope that it makes a massive difference in your career or business Thank you always to our producer, co-founder, and the main brain, I'm not joking, behind the Inside Influence podcast, Lauren Kelly. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an interview.